it seems like every day there is another housing announcement from the provincial government. And many of these announcements have been met with mixed reactions. Some saying they are much needed changes, as we've been hearing from some Metro Vancouver mayors saying that it is overreach and takes away too much power from civic governments. Will it actually lead, though, to more housing or will there be unintended consequences? Well, Paul Sullivan joins me now, principal and regional leader at Ryan ULC, which is a global tax services and software provider. Paul, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Jill. Happy to be on the show. Well, it seems like we've been having housing announcements almost daily. I know there is another one happening today, but let's take a look at some of the changes that have come about and some of the policy, uh, the different things that the current uh, provincial government is talking about and the bills. And and let's start, I guess, with talking about this kind of fixing the red tape issue or reducing red tape, because there has been a lot of talk of that and and the uh, provincial government saying that they're doing that. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's, it's a complicated uh, web that's sort of coming out of these bills and how they're going to impact municipalities. But I think the public first needs to understand that, we've, that the province has brought forward two bills, Bill 44 and Bill 46, and they do two entirely different things. Bill 44 is interesting. What it says is by the end of 2024, every municipality must provide a housing needs report how many homes in the jurisdiction are anticipated to be required. Part two is they must pre-zone enough land in their municipality to meet those housing needs by the end of 2025. So that's a really major hurdle for municipalities to, to do. And part three of Bill 44 includes this missing middle piece that we've been hearing about, the upzoning of single-family homes or lots from four uh, and up to six units. So that's what Bill 44 is about. Bill 46 is a different animal, and it, it deals with this issue around community amenity contributions and charging development for community amenities like parks and daycares and schools. Um, And the way that used to be done is through a negotiated process between the developer and the municipality, and you have a thing called land lift. When we upzone properties, we create additional land value, and municipalities take a proportion of that value and call it a community amenity contribution. And the problem with it is that it became very difficult those negotiations to arrive at a number and it was stalling projects for years and years and there's even examples of developers walking away from projects because they can't come to an agreement with the municipality on the value of the land lift from the rezoning. So Bill 46 says, all right guys, figure out in advance what your amenity costs and requirements are, predetermine an amount by housing unit to be charged against a project and tell the market that number ahead of time. And that's really important because it takes away the uncertainty and some of the timing around these types of things. And more importantly, or as importantly, it helps land vendors and homeowners know the value of their property because they have a predetermined amount of that cost against the development. The really interesting thing about Bill 46 too is the province holds a stick on it. They say if 
that amount is unreasonable, we're going to issue a regulation and override you, municipality, on what the correct amount should be. So that's Bill 44 and 46. Um, big deal for municipalities, big deal for property owners. And uh, I'm not sure how quickly it's going to solve our housing problem, but it keeps it interesting. And even looking at that and this uh, this way of collecting the fees, it's getting really mixed response from various mayors in Metro Vancouver. Some saying that it's good, that it, it simplifies what was a very complex system, but other mayors saying uh, they, they feel like this is overreach by the part of the province. And I know there have been questions as well, too, if you look at what's happening at the Metro Vancouver board and that board's decision to go ahead and triple uh, a lot of the fees paid by developers on new construction so it, it doesn't really feel like this has clarified things uh no and you know the, the problem is, is you talk to the home builders in this province and every time there's one level of government given an incentive such as gst you, you know you get metro vancouver tripling the dc season and, and that offsets that or, or makes it even worse um so they're, you know, they say, hey, we've solved NIMBYism. These properties are all pre-zoned. There's no no ability to oppose. I can tell you what, I, I sat with a bunch of home builders yesterday, and they're not going to stand in line to build four and six plexes in single-family neighborhoods and have picket lines down the front of the street. This is a very complex problem, and you know, good on the NDP for putting some ideas on the table. Pretty pretty thin on detail and probably going to see a lot of challenges at every every level of society let's call it beyond government but it down to the 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 individuals that live in these communities this is not going to be easy sailing do you think there is a, going to be an issue as well when you talk about this the idea that the single family lots that they can now go to uh, the fourplexes or sixplexes and and removing the public hearing that if it fits in the official community plan a, a public hearing won't be uh, necessary anymore does this also open the door or does this mean that single family homes where the lots haven't been densified they could face higher taxes because of highest best use it's a possibility and you know perhaps that's not a bad thing because small business has suffered for so many years uh, uh, from that tax treatment and, and maybe if homeowners start suffering we might bring up a, a solution but um, you know the first point of that uh, that 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 additional value is that the land value actually gets created through this pre-zoning and I don't know a lot of home builders that believe it will um, you know, now I've got to build six kitchens rather than one. I need 12 bathrooms rather than two. Uh, I don't know where anybody's going to park. And, oh, my goodness, nobody at City Hall has ever approved one of these. So God help us get through that process of approval, inspections, and delivery of these homes. And, you know, I can go to Minneapolis. They, they did the exact same thing in 2019. And uh, over a four-year window... They built 81 units. It just didn't fly. So on top of that, we have all sorts of difficulties going on on trade shortages. We've got the red tape problem. We have the highest uh, material costs and labor costs we've ever had. Uh, and we have interest rates at a level that consumers can't afford homes. So this is a really complicated problem. But, you know, Again, good for people for trying things, but there's no quick answer here. 
And Paul, when you look back kind of at other initiatives that have been put in place, or even looking back to 2017, and I believe it was in 2017 that uh, the government under Premier John Horgan, uh, they made a big flashy announcement saying that 114,000 new units of housing would be built over 10 years, and that included rental housing, not-for-profit housing, market-based, everything in that uh, equation. Uh, It doesn't seem like we're on track for that. Is this another announcement that we're going to be looking back at, do you think, in a few years, wondering where the housing is, or will this actually change things? Well, it's going to change things. Is it going to change the number of houses? I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, six years ago, NDP said 114,000 new homes on the way. Governments don't build homes. Home builders build homes. And uh, on that promise, they've only built about 7,000 homes. That's 6.8% of the promise in six years. So unfortunately, that was uh, well off target. What else could be done, do you think, then? Like you said, government doesn't build homes. They do bring in policy or change policy. What else could be done to battle some of the obstacles that, that you've outlined? Well, I mean, there's something to this concept of pre-zoning. And um, you, you can't entirely cut out communities and, and local governments from where that zoning occurs. But I am a big proponent of targets and housing targets and requiring municipalities to get federal and provincial grant money to meet those housing targets. So let's keep the pressure on the targets. Let's maybe let a more vertical level of approval or decision-making on, on where it goes. Um, if you don't meet your targets, you don't get the higher levels of funding. Let's pre-zone for where to achieve these targets, which is a little bit about what we're talking about now. Let's move much heavier into certified professionals such that private sector engineers can get in there and do the approval processes, build to what's allowed under zoning and do it in a quick way. Um, and let's move to incentive plans. Look what they did in Kelowna. They said, hey, you build um, residential rental. We're going to give you a 10-year property tax holiday. 70% increase right away on the number of rental homes that were delivered in Kelowna through incentive programs rather than taxation programs and saying that we're going to tax to build housing and that's not what's happening. We're hiring more and more bureaucracy We're at a 15 to 1 job rate ratio of government over private sector employees. Taxation is not the answer. Some of the certainties we're talking about today and processes and and, and evolution of these processes is what's needed. Paul, thank you so much for doing this. Always great to have you on the show. So I'm uh, very appreciative that you made the time today. Thank you. You're welcome, Jill. Nice to chat. That was Paul Sullivan joining us, principal and regional leader at Ryan ULC, that is a global tech services and software provider. When we come back, we started the show talking to Cash Heed, former West Bend police chief, former solicitor general, talking about the search for Randall Hopley, who is a convicted sex offender, deemed a high risk to reoffend. And what many people are asking, how was someone in this position able to remove his 
ankle monitoring bracelet to avoid a court date and is still at large five days later. Well, I got a couple of questions on the buzz line about this and about the original court case and answers to those questions when we return.